Welcome to Hundreds of Ways, the podcast that celebrates entrepreneurship and lifestyle independence. This week, we're visited by Tim Chow as he shares what gave him the motivation to leave his lucrative sales career and start a video and photography studio. So join us as we explore which of the hundreds of ways belongs to Tim. Hey, James. Good evening. Good morning, Elliot. How are you? Doing really well. Can't complain. How about you? I'm doing great because today we have another wonderful guest. In our last few episodes, our guests have talked a lot about travel, whether that's Lauren and myself who have expatriated, kind of a long-term travel, if you will, or Elliot and Justin, for whom travel factors in on an almost daily basis with their lives. But entrepreneurship isn't just about how many flights you can log a year or how many miles you can travel from your home city. For a lot of us, it's about making a career that is meaningful and that is personally fulfilling. And today's guest is someone that can talk to us a lot about that. He's also a long, long, long time friend of mine, Tim Chow. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, we're really excited to have you on and hear kind of your unique perspective. We've talked a lot about video production content on this podcast, and I assume we'll continue to do so. But I think you'd bring a really fresh perspective in terms of the company that you run and the type of work that you do. So excited to dive into that. And I think we'll open with my least favorite question that we always start this podcast off with. But just tell tell me what you do. Well, I try to rack as much airline miles as I can and travel to as many places. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, I um Tim's starting a, a travel startup actually that he yeah. wants to announce today. Uh, the points guy competitor. That's right. <laughs> it's street cred in the entrepreneurship world. No, I I own and operate a commercial video and photography production company here in Tempe, Arizona. And uh, we focus on B2B services, so anything production-related, whether it's photography for some kind of product content or to showcase a new retail space, restaurants. Photography and video, we produce it for businesses so that they have content to market their businesses or products. So, B2B content, that's a broad category. Can you give us an example of a project you've worked on over the last couple of months? It really ranges. So, B2B content, essentially what that means is as a business, I'm providing a service to another business versus, let's say, someone who wants to get coverage for their wedding or family photos, which is, of course, where I started like many photographers or content creators. But the B2B service is kind of what I gravitated towards because that was where real budgets existed. And the key for me was recurring a recurring model of some sort. Otherwise, I I wouldn't have a very sustainable business. So, in terms of projects that I would work on, we we filmed everything from like client testimonials for cosmetic surgeons to live events for charity organizations, public figures for their content marketing for, you know, elections. It really varies and it all comes down to whether I might be getting ahead of myself here, but it, it comes down to whether the person or the brand is someone that we are excited to work with and whether they provide a service or product that we believe in. And for listeners that are just starting out their entrepreneurial journey, this this distinction that Tim makes, this B2C versus B2B 
business to consumer versus business to business. If you're not familiar with these sorts of sales, it doesn't seem like that's a big distinction. But working with businesses versus consumers changes the size of the project. It changes the money that's involved. It changes the goals, but it also changes the sales cycle. So sometimes there's some additional challenges. So Tim, as you said, you, you started off kind of in more of that B2C area, like, like many photographers and videographers doing weddings and stuff. What were the big challenges in, in shifting then from that B2C to a B2B mindset? That's a really good question. It wasn't a shift so much in terms of whether I was talking to consumers versus businesses. I think it was more of a shift in my own mindset. I think in the beginning, the mindset is I'm just a, a novice starting out on this journey to create my own business. I don't have a portfolio. I don't have a reputation. And so I'm just happy to be able to do what I love to do, which is photography and, and filmmaking. And it was more about just getting out there and building a network, getting people to know me, coming out of obscurity, which I think is very important for any business. But then for me, there was a there was a particular shift in my mindset where I realized like this is not what I wanted to focus on, you know, taking family photos. That's not the career that I thought I would be building. And any time that I'm spending doing that means I'm not working on the thing that I actually really want to work on. And so there was a decision that I needed to become the person who who would do that. I need to become the person who would be a, a commercial photographer and video maker. So once I had that kind of mind shift change, everything kind of sort of aligned and I started taking the right actions that moved me towards that direction. And this is a tripping point that comes up a lot with creative entrepreneurs, people who do writing, film, video, that, that sort of creative work. They get started maybe because they've always loved writing and they've always loved film and video, but then they find that the, the work they're doing is is not the writing they want to be doing. If you love writing and you end up being a, a copywriter for medical devices, I don't know, something very rote, you might not like that as much. So it, it's fantastic to hear that you were able to recognize, A, film and video is something I'm passionate about, but then B, Film and video is something I'm passionate about, but not so passionate about that I want to be doing family photos for the rest of my life. <laughs> That's right. I mean, I think passion is very important because building a business and being an entrepreneur is not easy. I think it's probably one of the hardest things that someone can voluntarily do as a career. I think it's it's in some ways, it's much easier to just go find a job and have that kind of security, perceivably you know, a paycheck that you can expect every so often and benefits. And to start your own business means you're going to walk a very, very long path that's that's just very difficult. It's going to require a lot of sacrifice from you. And I know that people say, if you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life. I don't think that that's particularly true because <laughs> it's still work. I mean, work right, is work. Right. <laughs> but if you are passionate about it, there's meaning behind that work and there's purpose behind that work. And it, and that does get you excited to get out of bed in, in the morning and face those challenges. In fact, you can't wait to, to tackle some of those challenges despite how difficult they might be. So passion does go a long way. And I think without it, it's very difficult to weather that storm or, or to weather that journey. So I want to dive into what you're doing right now, but first rewind and talk a little bit more about how you got started. I think that's a key point that a lot of people starting out in entrepreneurship or freelancing run into is that 
you get known for a niche, you may build up a roster of say wedding clients and then you start getting referrals or word of mouth referrals from other people saying, you know, Tim's the guy to go to for wedding videos. And all of a sudden you're running a business where you're doing 20, 30 wedding videos and that's what you do. And it can be really difficult to pivot. Can you talk a little bit about how you made that transition from being that independent freelancer shooting family portraits to doing what you do now? So let me let me back up a, a second and ask you, do you want me to talk about my actual career trajectory, like how I found my way into being a content creator and, and commercial, you know, photographer and filmmaker versus the pivot that I made specifically in the content production trajectory from being a B2C to B2B? So let's rewind for a second and just chat about how you got started doing photography and film. You talk about passion and the importance of passion, but a lot of people don't know what they're passionate about. How did you find that? And then how did you get started? What does your journey look like? That's another really good question. I think for most people, you don't wake up in the morning and go, I know what I'm going to do in life. I know who I am. I know who I'm going to be and, and what my so purpose is I'm so envious of life. those people. <laughs> because I, feel I don't like think they exist. <laughs> no, they're no, out no, there. They just, I know they are. Get crazy. <laughs> I mean, I remember being a senior in high school and you, you were invited into the academic counselors to talk about what your plans were for the future after you graduate high school, what colleges you were going to. And everyone seemed to have a plan at that time. Everyone's like, I'm going to this college. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a doctor. And it sounded fantastic. But then there I was feeling like, I feel like I just need to come up with something to to uh, sound good to my <laughs> friends. Otherwise, I feel like I'm a degenerate. Marine biology. Um, <laughs> I'm doing it. Right. <laughs> From Arizona. <laughs> Astronauts of some sort. No, it. I just didn't have, I couldn't figure out what it was that I, I that was my true calling. And it did get to a point where it was starting to like concern me. Like up until high school, I was like, I don't have any, I don't think I have clearly defined what my hobbies are yet the things that really draw me to to building a career. I don't think I was even very career-minded in high school. So a lot of what figuring out what you need to do for your career or who you are as a person, I think is doing all of the things that don't align with who you are, figuring out who you are not. I think that's equally as important as doing the things that do reflect who you are. So doing the jobs and being being the things that didn't really agree with me or didn't reflect who I was was the start of how I how I figured out what I truly needed to do. And so my trajectory was out of college, you know, I I spent some time waiting tables at a vegan restaurant serving $14 vegan dishes. I've cleaned bathrooms, you know, on a night shift at Office Max and I've worked in sales and I found success through, you know, each iteration of a new job and moving from company to company. And eventually I found my way to being in sales for tech companies. So I worked at Yelp. That was kind of my first big boy job. It was like the start of a new chapter. It's like, okay, now I'm actually at a desk. I have I have something meaningful that I'm working on and the money is, you know, this is real money being your first real job. So I stuck with that for a while and I found success in it selling. And it was something that I really loved to do. So I majored in psychology in college. And in particular, I focused on interpersonal relationships and group dynamics. 
And my idea was that this was going to, these were life, kind of like life skills that would help me throughout my entire life, just understanding people and understanding how groups of people think. But I, you know, even in college, I really didn't know what I was going to do. I got to apply a lot of that psychology in sales, which I loved because I got to talk to people, I got to be customer facing, and that was very exciting. Really quick, what did you major in in college? Psychology. A BA in, in psychology, yeah. And how long were you in the sales jobs for? I think I was in sales for like six, seven years. Yeah. So, I mean, so you, you were enjoying it and, and, and killing yeah. it too. I mean, you, you, I, I remember back, we've known each other for a long time and I remember you were at Yelp and you were killing it at Yelp and then you moved to Zenefits next? There was another company that I moved to prior okay. to that, but in terms of major steps, yeah. Zenefits was the next big tech company that I worked for. And I, and I remember you killing it there as well. You would you would talk about it on, on Facebook and, and on, on your LinkedIn, and you really seemed to enjoy your time at Zenefits. It was really good people. I met really great people there. The technology was very exciting. The money was very exciting. <laughs> you know, it's being a young 20-something-year-old in tech sales making the kind of money that I was making. It was like money wasn't real, and that's a that's not necessarily a good thing for a young 20-year-old who has no idea how to manage nope. money. <laughs> so, And it was a great distraction. And I think that's why I kind of stuck with it for so long because, because of money. I mean, you, the, you the get golden accustomed. Right? Exactly. You get accustomed to a certain lifestyle. You get accustomed to just having these things and having the kind of disposable income that you get in the tech world and in sales. So I moved to... Chicago for another job in outside sales, which I also really loved. But when that company abruptly was acquired by another industry giant, I was offered a an opportunity to transition to the to the new company for a comparable position with comparable salary, and everything would have been cool. But something just jumped out at me, and it actually really scared me to think that I spent five, six, seven years in this world without much critical thought, without thinking about whether this was what I really wanted to do. And what really scared me was I realized I don't have that many five-year stints. You know, in another five years, I would be in my mid-30s. In another five years, I would be in my 40s. How many of those do I really have? Is this how I wanted to be spending my time? And when those answers were no, even though I didn't know what I was going to do, I knew for sure that despite the money, despite the income, I couldn't stay here any longer. So I had to I had to make a shift and start to figure out what it was that I wanted to do. And that's a question you have to ask yourself. I, I've started asking myself it with potential clients is how many more apps am I going to build? If I keep doing this where I'm trying to contribute myself, God, even if I do this for the rest of my life, I've got 30 maybe. And that's again, if I do it till the day I die, which I'm probably not going to. So you start to have to think about these things. You know, do I want to build 30 more dating apps or, or do I want <laughs> to try to find some clients and work on some projects that are, that are more interesting, that are more fulfilling? Right. So once I, once I realized that this wasn't the trajectory that I needed to do, I just spent some time. I took some time off. I'd saved up some money and I... I should say I, I spent some time to get to know myself. It wasn't necessarily like 
what do I want to do for a career? It was more so like who who am I if I'm not this salesperson in the tech industry? And answering that question led me to a path of self-discovery that eventually led me here. That jump from essentially your identity of who you are to doing something completely different can be really challenging for a lot of people. And I know that because I've talked to over a dozen people in the last year who have said, I'm in this job, I hate it. I have this semblance kind of idea of what I want to do, but I haven't flushed it out and they haven't made that leap. What was the catalyst for you that made you take that time, stop and reflect for a little bit and go on that path of self-discovery as you called it to make that transition? Well, for, I think having worked in the tech industry, you know, in sales for quite a long time, it was something that I was comfortable with. And I knew that that was a skill that I had developed, which I would rely on for much of my life, if not for the rest of my career. But I always, so I grew up with entrepreneur parents. My parents moved me and my sister from Hong Kong uh, back in 1996 and since we've been here in the US, they have owned and operated their own business and put all their kids through college. And it was always about, you know, the value of building something of your own and being in control of your own destiny, even if it's not lavish, even if it's not glamorous, was better than to leave your fate, to leave your future up to somebody else who more or less really wasn't that invested in, in your own future. So at the end of the day, it was something that, you know, at least that's what my parents kind of instilled in me in terms of value was, was you need to figure out a way to own your own path. And so growing up, I kind of always had this feeling that I was going to build something of my own. I didn't know what the business would be, but I knew that I wanted to own my own business and, and run my own show. And even though that that was a huge part of who I was, obviously I went on to work in the sales industry, in the tech industry for a long time. It was really when I realized how old I was getting and how much time I'd spent in sales and realizing that I hadn't been critical about what I was doing at all, that that was probably the beginning of it. As far as finding my path to what I'm doing now, that took a lot of self-discovery and just being quiet and being open to listening to myself. What I discovered was that I think the most important question that I had asked myself was, okay, between all of the jobs that I had done, all the companies that I had worked with, were there any common threads that remained? Was there something that I was doing throughout all this time that was that maybe I wasn't paying attention to or listening to? And if so, what was that? And then I realized that for almost 10 years, I was always involved in photography. It was always a side hustle. It was, I was making money on the side from it, shooting family portraits and weddings and stuff. I would make mock product shoots, you know, by myself uh, at home. And I never thought of it. In fact, I never thought that I would be a photographer growing up. But when I found that, when I discovered that about myself, I was like, well, this is, something that's apparently very important to me in my life that I that I've stuck with for the better half of 10 years so there might be something there and I really should should look into it and explore that because when am I yeah when when else am I going to do that 
So you've been doing photography personally and on the side for years, but what about videography? Is that something that you've also had a lifelong passion of or is that something you've developed more recently? That's a good question. So photography found me very innocently, I, I, I guess I should say, because it, w- it wasn't something that I had targeted, right? It wasn't something that I, w- that I sought out to develop in myself. It was just kind of a, a hobby that I didn't know I had. It's, it was it's a, a gateway I I had. creative right. for a lot of people, right? I mean, a lot of people take pictures and then if you have that creative spark, maybe you start taking better and better pictures, right? Exactly. And that's kind of how video found me as well. Once I moved to being a professional f- photographer, professional being this was going to be how I made all of my income. Once I made that, that jump, video found me just the same way as photography did, which was I found myself exploring video, learning about it. I spent hours and hours just studying it, camera movement, lighting design, composition, you know, screenwriting. And then I realized, whoa, this is like quickly becoming another part of me that first of all, it's very relevant to what I was already doing. But second, this really ignited something within me that made me very excited to wake up in the morning. I was borrowing money that I didn't have to buy equipment that I didn't need so sure, that I could sure. do this thing. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, let's let's take it seriously. Otherwise, this is just a bad game to play. And and how long ago was that that you, that you started the video path? This was about three years ago. So, so I asked because anyone who's listening needs to go check out Tim's reel both on timchowstudios.com and now his current production company, wilcoproductions.com, because you have lots of different videos on there of all sorts of, of content. Uh, like you said, you work with lots of different businesses. There's the dentist on there. There's a juice bar. But whatever the shot is, it's gorgeous. There's a, I think you have a, a shot of a, like an oral surgeon like drilling in someone's mouth, and it's, <laughs> it's beautiful. It's like, it's like, like, the, like the, like, like the lighting is perfect. The, just the framing is perfect. And so I ask because if you look at your reel, this doesn't look like something that you just maybe got a whim to do three years ago. It looks like something you've been practicing for a long time. Well, I can't take full credit for the productions that we, we do as a company, but to talk about what you're, you're bringing up here as far as developing a new skill and, and making that productive, I think it goes back to having a passion for it, which is it's not fun. It's not most people's idea of how you would spend your leisurely time researching very technical things about video production. I mean, video production is like there's obviously the camera, the camera stuff, the technical stuff, lighting, but then there's also the very, very technical side of it, like frame rates that you have to pay attention to for different things that you're shooting, post-production, what kind of software you're going to use to edit your videos. And then within post-production and editing, there's a whole set of theories and, and things that you have to learn about it too. So it was because I was so passionate about it that I didn't find it a chore at all. I, ju- I was just consuming this information and I still do today nonstop. And it's something that just, I think I'm more focused on being better all the time. And that's what kind of drives me. And I think that's how that's how I was able to turn it into a productive part of my business. I think a quick note there to hit on is I went to school to learn all of that. You talk about all the technical aspects mm-hmm. of running a film production company or even understanding the art of film. You didn't. You studied psychology and then spent seven or so years in a sales career. So can you just chat briefly about like what some of those not specific resources, but ways 
that you taught yourself were? Did you reach out to people? Was it textbooks, videos? Just a little bit about that. So I did take a photography course in college and it was a film photography course. It was all manual. You know, I, I went out to Craigslist to buy my first film camera in college. And that's kind of how I started honing my skills as a photographer, just understanding the fundamental basics to photography. So that really gave me a great foundation to build off of. As far as everything else that I've learned, photography and video, that was all self-research. A lot of it on YouTube, which is a fantastic resource now, I don't think this was, if I had tried to get started on this career path 10 years ago, I don't think it would have been as as easy because the resources were just not as accessible. People weren't making this kind of educational content. So I definitely learned a lot of what I did through self-research on YouTube and other websites and blogs from other photographers, studying other photographers and filmmakers' work and kind of dissecting how they filmed something, how they lit a particular scene, how did they write that, that scene. And then, of course, you have to go out there. At the end of the day, you have to go out there and do it and fail a bunch of times and really embarrass yourself. And that was something that I did plenty of. And so with each mistake, I learned how not to do something, which hopefully guides me in the path of how to, how to do something. So, Tim, we've been talking a lot about the work products out of your business, the photography, the videography. I want to go back a little bit and talk about the other side, the sales side, which is something that, that you did before you were a freelancer. And specifically, I want to talk about, you already mentioned that your first clients when you were working on photography were, were personal clients, were, were people with weddings and other things. How did you approach sales when you first started approaching corporate clients? What did that shift look like when you started bringing on these, these businesses? In terms of the sales process, it, it, I guess I, I should say that it was more or less always the same. I went through the kind of the same sales cycle with a B2C sales versus B2B. And I think that was important because you, you have to ask questions and be curious about your client, no matter what the client is and what kind of project that they're up against. The shift from B2C to B2B was really looking at your projects on a bigger scale at least that it was that it was uh, the case for me in particular i felt like with a b2c the projects were always one off projects how often are you signing clients that want recurring family photos you know I mean, they do. Kids kids grow up and, you know, you want to capture it. And right? in the U.S. now with the divorce rate, I mean, if you can get <laughs> in on the first marriage, like, you might be able to catch two or three down the road. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I'll capture all of your weddings from here on out. <laughs> Second time you did this guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't think, uh, well, maybe that's a... That's a reputation, perhaps, that I shouldn't be chasing after. He's the, he's the photographer that gives people a second chance after they <laughs> yeah. get married. <laughs> you can no. name it Second Chance Studios. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, I think, gosh, if I could just back up, because there's a lot to, <laughs> to dissect there because it was partially a business decision, right? Like a Like an income decision. It had to be scalable. It had to be sustainable. But also the types of projects were not that exciting to me. 
sorry to all the parents who have gorgeous kids. I know your kids are really gorgeous <laughs> and they are really fun to shoot, but every family shoot is basically the same. Every wedding more or less is the same. And I didn't feel like that I was getting a chance to express my creativity on a platform that was diverse enough, if I could say that. Not that I didn't like to, you know, the opportunity to shoot family portraits and, and personal projects. I felt like all of the other stuff in commercial work, like product photography, architecture and interior photography, things like that were challenges that I had not had to face yet in a B2C environment for my work. That and, was one part of it. And if I can interrupt real quick, yeah. just this is something I think that's that's also super crucial to remind people is that entrepreneurship itself is a career. And that uh, just like you working your, your, your day job right now doesn't have to be forever. Making the shift from your day job to being a personal photographer might be the first step to then working on more interesting work. And so you don't have to look at that next step of your life as, oh my God, this is it. I'm going to, I'm going to leave my job and I'm going to be taking pictures of, of families for the rest of my life. It might just be that you do that for long enough that you can then move into something that, that you maybe you're more deeply interested in. That's a really good point. I remember as a kid, my mom used to tell me all the time, it's a little phrase or idiom in Chinese. A lot of Chinese history and culture is passed down verbally. And so, she would always tell me, this is probably going to make no sense translated into English, but if you're looking for a horse, you know, like to ride, like a stallion, but you don't have one yet, sometimes you have to ride an ox before you can get to your horse. <laughs> right. And so, that was kind of, uh, it's more eloquent in, in Chinese than translated <laughs> into English. But that was more or less the idea. Sometimes you have to find your stepping stone in order to get to the point where where you want to be. And you can't be afraid of that. And it goes back to what I was talking about before, which is doing the things that you don't want to do and exploring who you are not is as important as finding out who you are. In fact, that's oftentimes how we do find out who we are, is by doing things that don't agree with us, being in situations that we find don't ignite our fire. So basically, if I could sum up my professional career now, I think that's kind of how I how I got to where I am is doing a lot of things that weren't reflective of who I was. And even in photography, even starting my own business, I was getting closer to to doing the things that I did want to do. But even within that, I realized that it wasn't exactly the path that I had intended. And that's okay. I think what's very important was that I was open to changing my my business model, that I was open to adapting to you know, that kind of feedback from my career and also taking action to make the pivot. That's obviously important. So that was kind of uh, the switch for me. So when talking about the transition, you mentioned that your, your sales cycles didn't change a whole lot, but I'd be interested to hear how you approach these sales and how that changed. Was this still a process of referral? Was this more now outbound based? Did you did you do more outreach where you were finding potential clients and reaching out to them? How did the mechanics of the sales process change when you switched from consumers to business? It was actually very exciting for me because I was able to lean on the skills that I had stacked through my career in sales and really use it to my, you know, use it productively. In B2C, 
there isn't a lot of room for cold calling. It's very difficult to call up a family and go, can I take pictures of you and your kids? <laughs> I don't think I, I don't recommend doing that. <laughs> I'm just picturing getting that call. It'd be <laughs> yeah. so awkward. <laughs> I know you've never worked with me before. I found you in a phone book. I know you have kids because I found you on Facebook. I would like to take pictures of can you I, guys. Can I, can I take pictures of them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can join if you want to. No, there, there was no room for that. And I recognized that, you know, there was the, it was going to be a very difficult sale. So I kind of was fortunate to be able to lean back on what I had come to know very well in my previous life in sales. And moving, making that pivot to B2B allowed me to actually call businesses or walk into them, swing doors and discuss these these issues with them that I know are on the top of their mind based on a little bit of, of research. You you should always do your research on your prospect before you before you try to engage them in a conversation. But you know, you find out that they've been trying to make an effort towards one direction in their marketing or another. They're trying to create content and you know that it could be better and that you are the solution for it. It wasn't about selling them my services in terms of you know, moving to B2B. It wasn't about walking into a business and telling them, hey, I can shoot really good photography or produce a really great commercial for you. It was about, look, I can see that you're trying to promote your business. I can see you putting out content and I know that it could be better. So let me ask you what the heck you're trying to do. What are you trying to promote? What's important to your business? Asking, you know, discovery questions and then figuring out for myself whether this is First of all, whether there was an opportunity for me to help them with better content. But second, it was also about whether this person or this company or this brand was somebody who I could support personally. Are these people who I want to be friends with? And uh, that's kind of how I've, how I've conducted my business since, uh, since the beginning. One thing I want to relay that, that Tim just touched on here is there isn't one kind of photography business and there isn't one kind of video studio whatever path in entrepreneurship you're thinking of taking there are ways to leverage your past experience in a way that that flavors the business that you have and might be able to help you lean on the experience the unique experience that you've had to date so for tim who had this seven years in sales the seven years in, in, in B2B sales where he, you know, was really learning and it's tech sales too. So it's, it's, they're trying new things. It's, it's kind of the, the avant-garde of sales. Tim got to sharpen his teeth in a situation that then years later, he was able to make the decision of, okay, I have these skills that I'm not currently leveraging in my business. Why not? Is there something I can do to bring those to bear? So whatever path you're taking, People get caught up in this idea of, oh, well, you know, well, I'm going to be a, a B2C photographer and that throws away the seven years of experience. Well, no, you can flavor that business a lot of different ways. And so that's something to keep in mind as you, as you start off on this journey. Look back and try to figure out how you can leverage your experience, your skills, your passions uh, in a way that, that might change the type of business that you're running. That's absolutely right. I think no matter what you're doing, you are picking up skills along the way maybe skills that you don't even know about or, or that you're not paying attention to. But these are all things that make up who you are that give your work value. 
And so I would, I would recommend to anyone who's looking to start their business or just even contemplating like maybe there's something else out there for me besides working this nine to five job, no matter what direction it is that you're trying to take in life or in your career, be really good at what you do. Always pick up new skills, never stop learning, and it will surprise you through the years how much you've actually learned and how good you can actually get if you just let yourself become that person. Yeah. So yeah, on a little bit of a lighter note, what's your favorite part about your job that you get to do on a day-to-day basis? There's a lot of it. I think I'm very tactile and I like working with my hands. And so working with all of this equipment and being really super hands-on with my work, that's something that I really enjoy doing. Obviously, I I have a creative side to me, which I like to express. And so my work allows me to explore that. But I think there's another part of it too, which drives me as a business owner, which is I really look forward to teaching other people who want to be involved in this industry or do what I do. And I really like the idea that I am now in a position where I can create jobs for people who are in the same industry. It's not easy for a photographer or a filmmaker to start their own business and find opportunities for productive work. I'm fortunate because I had the opportunity to develop my sales skills, which is something that I think everyone should should develop. You're always selling something at, at some point or another, whether it's yourself or selling your way into a job. It's a skill that you should everyone should develop. So I was lucky that I could rely on that to to build my own career. But other people might not have had the same, you know, opportunities or even have the same affinity for sales. But that doesn't mean that they can't be successful as a photographer or filmmaker or somebody in the creative field. So it's very exciting to me that not only am I able to do what I love to do, but that now I have the opportunity to actually create that for other people. And that's probably been the the most fulfilling part of my work so far. So on that note, you have another thing that makes you unique amongst our guests so far and that you have a business partner. Mm-hmm. But at your previous studio, Tim Chow Studio, you did not. Can you talk right. a little bit about why a partner this time, um, what that partnership brings to you, and then also a little bit about the challenges? Um, I currently, oh, yeah. my wife is my business partner now, which is a little different of a situation. Um, but my previous agency, I had a, a very close partner that I worked with. And there were things that were fantastic about it and there were challenges. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, I would love to ask you about your partnership with your wife as a business partner. That's very interesting. Yeah, I highly recommend marrying an accountant. It's, <laughs> it's, it's makes things um, just super easy on that front. So I'm going to, I'm taking notes and I'm going to remember that. Well, I think for most people starting out in the, in the creative industry, I think a lot of people do start out as a freelancer individually, independently. And to a certain extent, from what I've seen, a lot of people want to keep it that way. I think a lot of creatives see other creatives as competition and they don't want to risk giving away their client to somebody else by referring them to or collaborating with another creative. And I think to a certain extent, that was the case for me in the very beginning. It's like, I have my set of skills that I've developed that I've worked very hard on. I have my own creative direction that I want to carry out. And it was a little bit of like a control thing for me to to work on these things myself. But you have only so much bandwidth 
and you can only do so much by yourself. And what I realized was I was basically plateauing in terms of the scale of productions that I was able to run and just how much progress I was making in building my business. Coincidentally, my friend Andrew, who's my business partner, we used to work together at Yelp. I was his account manager there. He was in sales. And he also, we also ended up working together at Zenefits by chance. That or I think he's stalking me. We, we don't know yet. So tune in in another couple episodes and we'll <laughs> tell you. But we ended up working together a bunch and we got to talking and he's been very successful in his career too in sales and he now runs a digital marketing agency. And I remember a couple of years back, he approached me and he said, you know, I have an idea for, I, w- I want to get involved in the creative space. He went to film school, so he was very interested in building something of his own that was going to be, in, you know, involved in filmmaking. And so we got to talking and a couple of years ago, we started working together just to kind of work on bigger projects. And it was immediately apparent to me that the amount of additional bandwidth you gain by partnering with someone, the ideas that you can get by having conversations with people outside of of yourself, and just how much more you can do, how much further you can go, was that was immediately apparent to me. So I had no no problems putting aside my my ego and saying, you know, let's build something that's bigger than myself. And he he was the same way. And we both understood what kind of work was going to be involved in building the company. And we were very much aligned in our values, the way that we approach our clients, the way we approach our creative work. And so it was a good fit. And that's how we partnered together. And it's been the most, in terms of like building the company, that was definitely the most important decision. It would have been very difficult to build a company by yourself. Ellie and I are obviously also partners in this endeavor at Hundreds of Ways. And by far, to me, the, the thing that you mentioned that, you know, the bandwidth is great having two people that can both work on things. But the, the main thing with a collaborator, especially one that you click with, is the idea transfer. And the way that an idea that maybe if you were working by yourself, it starts off in this raw form. And when you work by yourself, you whittle it down a little bit, but it's it's going to be very similar in that final form to, to how it started. But when you have a partner, I'll come to Elliot with just this absolutely bullshit harebrained idea. And after Elliot fixes it, <laughs> it, it actually won't be that bad. Mind you, and, that's a two-way street. <laughs> James fixes a lot of my harebrained ideas as well. <laughs> But there, that collaborative process, there's a reason why I always I always like to talk about in music, if you look at a lot of like really successful bands, and then sometimes what happens with bands that get really successful is the lead singer goes, screw you guys, I'm the famous one, and they go off and they make a solo album. And that solo album usually sucks because nobody wants to hear that guy. They want to hear that guy tempered by the other five people in the band that keep him on a leash. And it's the same thing in business where you can be brilliant and do business on your own and you might be successful. But having someone else that that helps you kind of work through your ideas, it's super, super valuable. I couldn't agree more. That's absolutely right. I mean, you think that if you work by yourself, you have total control over what you want to do and the direction you want to go. But what do you know? It's like you don't know anything. <laughs> I certainly don't know anything. Without another person to keep your ideas in check and to offer a different perspective, it's very easy to walk off, you know, in a very weird direction without actually knowing that you weren't doing something 
you know, productive. So I think uh, that that was very important to me. But I think that it also introduces another aspect, which is now you have another person with their own ideas and their own direction that you have to contend with. And that means it's not always going to be your way. Things are going to be done a, a different way. Sometimes you might not even agree with it. And I think it comes down to values alignment, making sure that you and the other person, whoever you're going to partner with are, you know, at least you don't have to be exactly eye to eye, but at least you're, you're very closely aligned with your core values uh, that are going to be important to you, whatever those values might be. It's different for everyone. And then I think the other part of it is your partner needs to be someone who you can negotiate very well with. Your partner has to be someone who you can contend with very well. Otherwise, you can't work these ideas out and then you will find yourself at an impasse and that's not very productive. So what's really helped me and Andrew out is whatever ideas we have to bring to the table, we always communicate very openly. If we disagree on something, we focus on what it is that we're talking about and we stay very solutions oriented and we always work it out and we figure out what's best for the client, what's best for the project, what's best for the people we work with and everything will figure itself out. I think a key point that you touched on there that I want to revisit briefly is that you really have to be aligned in what you're building. And that's one of the things that differentiates being a freelancer and building a business is that if you want to build one specific thing, you can do that as a freelancer because it's only you making calling the shots. Whereas when you're partnered up with somebody, it's really important that from the outset, you understand. I mean, it's almost like a marriage in a way. In your case, James, it actually oh, yeah, is a marriage, but you're having to agree <laughs> to the fact that you may have this original vision, but along the way, things are going to change and evolve and you have to work together in order to find like that, get to the you know next point where you're, where you're going. And having that dynamic ability and having that relationship with someone where you're both agreeing to be flexible and adaptable is, I think, one of the most important parts of finding a business partner. Yeah, you're not always going to agree on how to get somewhere, but you better agree on, on at least the direction you're moving, right? <laughs> That's so important. Yeah, I mean, imagine, like you say, it is like a marriage. And imagine your spouse not being in agreement with where you see your lives together five years down the road. That's a huge problem. And imagine not being able to negotiate well with your spouse about that. That's not to say that it won't work out, but it's just going to be very, very difficult. And so at the very least, you should be in agreement on the direction where you want to go and the things that you want to achieve together, obviously your values, how you treat people, how you treat each other. If those things are aligned, the how is less of an issue. So Tim, you touched on this earlier briefly, but what resources would you recommend to somebody looking to do what you do, whether that's a course, a book, a TV show, whatever it might be? That's a really good question. I think as far as technical resources, specific for film production and photography. There's a ton of it out there on YouTube. That's a great resource for people to go on because you can see this is a visual product, right? And so it's very important to be able to see what people are talking about. And there are so many great content producers on YouTube that you can follow, who you can follow, who will show you some very, very cool stuff, stuff that you probably wouldn't learn in school. I don't think that what I do requires 
a certificate or degree of some sort so much as it requires you to love the filmmaking process, which could be quite arduous at times, and also experience in doing it. You have to make those mistakes. But I think more than that, because the, because the material and content is so readily available out there on the technical side, I think it's also very important for people, and this I think applies to any other industry, but it's very important for people to study other disciplines and take knowledge from other areas, other fields that are not really related to what you do. Some of the biggest discoveries or some of the most groundbreaking things that people have done was actually a result of someone looking over the fence at somebody else's work and they're going, oh, I could actually, that makes a lot of sense. I could actually see how this could apply to what I do. So learning about things that if you're building a, a filmmaking business, don't think exclusively as a photographer or filmmaker. You have to think in terms of like a screenwriter. You have to think in terms of a business owner, a salesperson. Look at every discipline that would make sense to you, even if the discipline isn't directly applicable at first, or it's not immediately obvious how it could be relevant. As long as you are staying curious about other people's competence, learn from as many people as you possibly can and apply it to your work and, and you'll have a much more well-rounded business. Our listeners can't see us, but you just touched on a subject that I talked about in my yeah. own interview about staying curious and just uh, consistently always pushing the boundaries, learning new things, learning from others, peeking over the fence to see what other people are doing and seeing how you can do better, improve on their own process. So great note there. What haven't we covered as we close that you'd like the listeners of the podcast to know? What haven't we touched on or what else did you want to share today, if anything? I don't think we actually talk much about the step in entrepreneurship that entrepreneurs now take for granted, which is that very first step of starting something on your own and working for yourself versus the security of working for somebody else. Most entrepreneurs have had to make that jump unless you, you started with a silver spoon in your mouth. And it's not a very easy decision because you have to be practical. You have bills, you might have a family, people that you are responsible for, things that you're responsible for, dogs. It's not always easy to make that leap. And that's why it's very important to identify your why which is the reasons why you want to do what you do. There are entrepreneurs who want to start businesses because it makes money, which is a good thing. You know, it's it's nice to to be in a career that is financially very secure. But if what you do is purely based on money, this is so like cliche and it's been talked about so many times, but if truly if what you do is just about making money, then you're not doing anything really valuable because there's no substance to you. You're just doing whatever is at the whim of that particular paycheck. I think what's super important is identifying your why, and that will get you through the toughest times when nothing's going right and everything's kind of falling apart. You're messing up your work and you're, you start to question your own aptitude and your own competence. You start to feel like you're an imposter. If you have a strong enough why, it doesn't matter that all those things are falling apart because you're that's just the process of getting to to the end. That's just the pro, that's how it goes, you know, for whatever it is that you want to do. 
So as far as like things that I would tell our listeners, I don't know. I tried to approach your questions from the perspective of an entrepreneur and what people might find valuable starting their own business versus uh, another videographer who might be listening to this or filmmaker. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I think we've gotten a lot of really good, especially that kind of, I, lo I love the the process and the, the journey and the story and all that. I think we covered all that really well. Yeah. To get getting started, like anything else, the hardest part is to get started. It doesn't it, it matter if it's cleaning your room, you know, or building a business. Oftentimes when you have lofty goals and big aspirations, it could be very daunting to to tackle. Sometimes you don't even know where to get started. But if you break it down and ask yourself, what is one thing that I could do that I would do to move the needle forward, even if it's in some insignificant way, in some embarrassing way, as long as I do that, you know, as little progress as I might be making, at least I've done that. And if you if you do that enough times, you, you'll be surprised how far you've gotten just by taking those tiny steps. So one step at a time is how you get anywhere, good or bad. Beautifully said. And on that note, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be releasing some content that, that targets specifically this idea of how can we start making these initial steps? How can we find time and, and energy to, to attack these things one step at a time, like Tim said? So I think that's a really fantastic place to, to finish up. Tim, thank you so much for being here today. Really quick last note here. What's your service area if people want to work with you? Are you global? Are you in Arizona? Yeah. I'm very fortunate in the type of business that I've created, which which really has no borders or boundaries. And that was by by design. It was because I really wanted to work in a career or, or a job that allowed me the freedom to travel to places, to anywhere that I wanted to travel. To become a frequent flyer, to rack up miles. Exactly. <laughs> so we've come full circle. Basically, I, <laughs> I'm i in the president's club. It was of all travel. a ruse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, it uh, it was by design that I I built a business which allows me to travel, you know, any basically anywhere that I want. And so what I do is, uh, if I want to go somewhere and travel somewhere, really it just comes down to finding clients in that space in that area to subsidize that travel. Obviously, you have to work and you you know you have to be responsible. But as far as my service area, it's anywhere in the world. I've uh, we've flown all over the U.S. as a production company. In February of next year, we are flying to Vietnam for a non-commercial project, a documentary film that we're making. But it's really just, it's very exciting to be able to just travel anywhere and still do what it is that, that we do. So if somebody wanted to get in touch with you or commission your work, what's the best way to do that? Through your website? That's right. www. Who says www? Anymore. <laughs> Wilcoproductions.com. Great. Mm -hmm. And we'll link to that in the liner notes so anybody who's interested in working with Tim or just seeing uh, the reel because it's a really fantastic reel can go we'll and drop and contact him, him that way. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to say thank you so much, you guys, for having me on the show. I could keep chatting with you guys for another, you know, for hours. <laughs> and uh, it's very nice to meet you, Elliot. I, you're in Chicago right now? Yeah, likewise. I was about to say I could have stayed on for another hour or two. Uh, there's plenty that we didn't cover and glad we were able to get connected. Hope we can cross paths at some point. Yeah, anytime. If you guys ever want to chat about anything, just hit me up. For sure. Fantastic. All right, Tim. 
Next week, we're joined by GQ Insider, Google Next Gen Policy Leader, Branding Consultant, and all-around cool dude, CJ Johnson, as he shares how the changing media landscape has shaped his career as the on-demand branding guru of Silicon Beach. Until then, stay safe as you walk whichever of the hundreds of ways belongs to you.